Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod. And today is a special, special treat because I get to find out if Dan really does just hate Colin Baker or was it that one story in season one? Ah, uh, <laughs> it's going to be enjoyable. It's going to be enjoyable. My name is Soy, and with me, as always, is my partner in time, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are we doing, sir? I'm very good, mate. Very good indeed. I uh, I, do, <laughs> I do like that introduction because we are revisiting uh, Colin Baker, and it's uh, it's definitely been interesting going through the uh, going through the serial for this week, uh, Vengeance on Varos, and uh, and seeing if I, uh, I yeah, like you say, did I hate Colin Baker or was it just his intro? But we'll come yes. to that. How are you getting on? I'm doing all right, mate. I'm doing okay. Doing okay. Busy, busy, busy. Lots of recordings and lots of stuff to get on. But that's the way I like it, mate. And you, and you, for, and you forgot how to get out of bed. I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for crying out loud! Don't, man. Don't, if possible, can we try and make it through a whole episode where I haven't got to cut it up and edit, edit the crap out of it? <laughs> I mean, I'll do my best, but I'm going to have to talk at some point, so you're going to have to keep some of my bullshit. Well, I suppose, I suppose. Uh, I've got, I've got, I've got enough interesting facts about the cast of this serial, though, so that should keep us going, and that keep me out of mischief. Ah, okay, interesting, interesting. We'll get to that in a moment. Yes, today we are looking at Vengeance on Varos, uh, the Colin Baker story from January nineteen eighty-five, and it's. <laughs> It's it's a funny one because one of the characters in this, that one of the main the main baddie, I suppose, Sill, I think his name is. Mm. I always picture him as being quite iconic for the wrong reasons because he's often used as uh, as a way of mocking Doctor Who and how some of the older stuff looks. Uh, but yeah, we'll get on to him shortly. This is a story about, uh, I suppose. A, a, a planet being exploited for its its wares, I guess. That ah, the Doctor but, stumbles into. But more importantly, we start in another quarry. Yes, and it's, a, and <laughs> it's another one that's all about drilling because it's about mining. Oh, <laughs> they love a quarry and they love drilling, don't they? Yeah. In Although in this culture. this one's this one's also got, um, <laughs> and it's another one with a uh, with a very strange, um, slightly authoritarian. Uh, seeming government as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, I'm, sen- what, what, I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> basically, what, what what classic Doctor Who tends to be about so far. So what what we've discovered in our, in our look back from our first season and this so far is it's quarries, drilling, and Nazis. It, it's just, it's the rough gist, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Nazis that live in quarries and play with drills. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just a variation of that storyline over and over again. <laughs> 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 oh dear! <laughs> we, we, might, we might be doing it a bit of a disservice saying it like that. Yeah, potentially. There's a bit more to it than that. There's Daleks as well sometimes. Um, we <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes the Daleks are drilling, <laughs> and sometimes the Daleks are associated with Nazis, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes the Daleks are in a quarry. <laughs> I'd like to point out I didn't start this. Oh my god. Uh, but what were we talking about? Varos, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, mate. I think we're just avoiding talking about Colin Baker again. Uh, see, no, no, this is the thing. I don't mind it. Colin Baker in this. I thought he was I thought this was I thought this was good. Um it, it was much better than the uh, than the Colin Baker one we looked at previously, but I think it's partially because this this is quite Doctor Light. Okay. If you see what I mean, it flits between so many different groups of people that the doctor doesn't, re- and there's so much going on 
the doctor quite rarely gets a chance to get a word in edgewise. And I think that helps because he lets his actions do the talking and his actions are generally a lot better than his words. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, we, we start off very doctor heavy though, don't we? I suppose the first sort of 10 minutes or so, he's basically making out that it's going to be just him and Perry in the TARDIS forever until she dies because the TARDIS is, is breaking down. And he's having well, a bit of a sulk, isn't he? You, you've skipped a fair bit there. Well, no, I mean, we, are, we were starting there with the Doctor, aren't we? Obviously, before, oh, that, yeah. we, Sorry, before yeah. that, we we get Chesney Hawks getting lasered, don't we? <laughs> Chesney <laughs> Hawks. That that would be uh, that would be Jondar, and we come to the first um, one of the first bits about the cast. Do you know who played Jondar? Yes, I got a note about this. It's almost like I know what I'm doing. He's yeah, Sean is... Connery's son. Yep, Sean Connery's lad. But when I read <laughs> that, him. I was like, when I read that, I was like, no, that's not right. So I had to go and verify my own research because I didn't believe myself. <laughs> yeah, I did the same. But even before that, we start well, we start in a in an alien looking quarry with big dome buildings, mm. and uh, then we see uh, <laughs> we see Ch- Chesney Connery, Chesney um, Connery. <laughs> getting lasered, <laughs> and then we get um, we get Sheila Reed who plays Etta, and who will go on to play Clara's Gran in the uh, in sort of 2012-2013 time, in Time of the Doctor, with Matt Smith and Dark Water uh, under Capaldi. Oh, why? Okay. That's quite cool. Yeah. And uh, Sheila Reed's obviously, for a lot of people, they'll, they'll know her as uh, Madge from Benidorm. It was yeah. just the, the old woman in, you know, on the mobility scooter who didn't give a single fuck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely brilliant character. But the, this opening bit just is so good in how it builds the world because you've got Etta and and Arik just watching, just watching John Dar get lasered mm-hmm. and the morning they're saying, "Yeah, it's not, you know, give, giving it the not him again." So no, they must be running out of options. Like this is entertainment. Yeah. And well, which it is meant to be, and the complaining about the uh, the quantity of the food, and all. Then there's a there's a you know man, some sort of mandatory vote tonight, um, and stuff like that. And they have almost a political, a very quick political discussion about voting out this governor and what what would the next one do different, and all of that. And it's kind of a timeless political discussion, which I, I won't get into politics on this show, but it, it just felt very poignant with the uh, with sort of the political upheaval in in the UK at the minute. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it, it was quite interesting the, the way they're griping about what they're watching as well, isn't it? As you said, it's oh, not him again. It, it was, and they were saying, oh, they were they commenting on a, a former, a, a different execution they had watched that was far more entertaining and stuff like that, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And the thing, uh, what was it? It's the same, something like, um, uh, what was it? So when, we last, when was the last time we saw a decent execution? Yeah. You're saying, last week, the blind man, said, that was a repeat. No, it wasn't. You're thinking of the infiltrator. He wasn't blind, you know, not at the beginning anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that. And it's, the whole thing is, like, it's almost a mod. If you've ever read any Isaac Asimov, I've only read a couple of his books, but it's sort of very similar. It's a more dystopian version of that, where they've got these sort of soulless food dispensers and mandatory voting and, you know, it feels like everybody's going to be sat there doing the same thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it was, this was really well done and, and so, so quickly. Yeah. It really sets the scene, doesn't it? And the, 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 I suppose 
the uh, what was the guy's name? Arak, I think the character's yeah. name was. Was it that? Yeah, he's obviously come in from from work at this stage, and he's tired and worn out and wants his dinner as well. And it's just everything just seems depressing and drab and so on and we later find out that varos used to be a prison planet which has now been turned into this kind of mining mining landscape i guess yeah it's meant to be like a mining community but then they're saying about you know you're not allowed to vote for somebody else or you'll get you know you'll get arrested if you Mm. if you damage the television you you don't want you know you'll get the coppers will be around so it is a really strict authoritarian thing but the they still feel like they've got an element of control with the voting. Yeah. Yeah. And the voting is, is done literally just underneath their TV screen, isn't it? We have the yes and the no yeah. buttons and, and so on for, for each, I suppose for each person living in, in that, in that property, I guess, because we see that quite early on as well. Don't we, with the, the governor, he has to face a public vote relatively early in the episode as well. Doesn't he? He does. Yeah. And if, if he loses the vote, he basically gets, Basically, every cell in his body gets attacked by this weapon, and you can only sort of really survive it four times and, and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, and with the actually with that, with the mention of the governor, the, the actor who played him is a guy called Martin Jarvis, and his voice was ringing bells for me because it turns out he played Alfred in the Arkham video games. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so Arkham, Arkham, uh, Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and I think Arkham Knight. He, he's been Alfred in that, but he's also got previous in Doctor Who because he was he played Hilio in uh, the Web Planet in 1965 when William Hartnell was the Doctor, and right. he was in the Tom Baker serial Invasion of the Dinosaurs in '74 as a butler. Yeah, okay, fair play. I like stuff like that when the, the same actors pop up yeah. through you know through time and through the different oh, uh, stores. I missed one as well. Uh, Stephen Yardley who played Arik. We've seen him before on an episode that we've covered. Okay, where was that? He was Severin in Genesis of the Daleks. Oh, right. The guy we basically forgot about for a while. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. It's funny, isn't it? They've got this same sort of pool of actors that keep turning up, you know, from decade to decade and so on during this time, isn't it? Yeah, real interesting, but... I like I like stuff like that. I like looking back and seeing, you know, they, they were such and such and, and sort of doing that, that sort of thing. Uh, mm. Makes me happy for some reason that I can't quite pinpoint. Yeah, see, I got a thing about looking about looking at who's who's dead and who's still alive. I, I like to think I'm slightly less morbid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, I didn't do that for this one. Size death obsession. <laughs> yeah, it's not an obs- <laughs> you'll it's not be death opening, obsession. You'll it's be opening, like, you'll be wanting to invest in Marty's fucking mortuary cafe idea. But <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, nobody'd be that mental. No, no. Oh dear. Yes, we we have the the scene of the the governor, I suppose, getting get facing a public vote, and he's getting. Oh, how would you word it? It's kind of like, it's almost like a form of torture, I guess, isn't it? With this ray that you explained and it can only take, say four times, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it does something to your cells. It like breaks them down and obviously very painful and, and all the rest of it. Um, but it's all because he's been neg- trying to negotiate uh, the price of an, an R called Zyton 7, mm-hmm. which is the main sort of, um, product you know product on this planet that they're mining for and he's been negotiating with sill who you mentioned before or trying to but sills 
got him over a barrel, basically. Um, but you say about Sillen and being a, a tool for mockery. I thought, so, you know, fair, it look, the costume looks dated. It's gonna, you know. But the way he played it, was made it he made the character incredibly unsettling and unpleasant mm. to watch. Almost, at times felt almost perverted in the, in the pleasure he was getting from seeing people suffer. Yeah, yeah. He, he did doing that thing horrible, with his tongue. Yeah, that I was going to say about that, this horrible kind of, almost like a... a, a it would either break into a laugh or a laugh would break into that, wouldn't it? And he'd do this thing of his tongue and, you know, and when I say about looking, being an item of a, a, a sort of item of mockery or whatever, I literally, I'm referring to um, one particular documentary or TV show I watched. I kind of, it might be one of those right. countdown programs that you get sometimes, you know, the top hundred TV shows of this time mm. or whatever. And there's a, a, a clip from that that sticks in my mind. And it is basically saying about how money wasn't available for certain aspects of Doctor Who. So they did the best they could. And it shows a Dalek wobbling around on some stones as they're trying to roll it and shows this little green dude that we've got here and so on. And, and that that always sticks in my mind because until, until recently when I saw th- this serial, Vengeance on Varos, I didn't know who the green guy was. I didn't know who right. Sil was. So it's only been recently that I've, I've, I've sort of been able to put a link to who he is to that bit in this documentary I watched. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, it's, well, the you know people who made Doctor obviously um, set a great story in the character because uh, Sil returns in 1986 in Trial of a Time Lord. Yeah. And then he reprised the role again, did uh, uh, Nabil Shaban, who plays Sil, uh, reprised the role in 2009 as a voice actor in uh, something called Mission to Magnus, and then reprised the role again in 2019 in uh, a, in, in a straight-to-TV movie called Sill and the Devil Seeds of Arador that looks absolutely terrible. <laughs> it's, called a Doctor, it's called a Doctor Who universe, uh, or from the universe of Doctor Who and stuff like that, and it looks absolutely awful. Right. It, it doesn't sound great, to be fair. I'll put it this way: that on the cover, the um, the uh, the way Sills sort of made up and the, the costume and that looks worse than uh, than Inventions <laughs> on Varos. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, yeah, we we have the Doctor, don't we? In the TARDIS, there's there's issues with it, and he needs some of this Zoiton Zy- Zy- Seven yeah. to repower the TARDIS, I guess. So he and Perry. I have to head to Varos, and that's how we end up with the Doctor in the middle of this kind of situation. But we get some exchanges with with Perry on the TARDIS here that I thought were quite interesting, and we saw a bit, a bit more of Colin Baker's kind of, I suppose, grumpiness is one way of putting it, and he's having a bit of a sulk, I suppose. Yeah, he's he's still got the the bluster as if he thinks he's doing a good job, and just really not acknowledging these failures. But it, it, at this point, it feels like Perry's finally starting to get through to him because she gives a rundown of everything that's gone tits up, basically. Mm-hmm. She, he basically says, well, go on then, what have I actually knackered up? So she runs it down and says, you've caused three electrical fires, a total power failure, and a near collision with a storm of asteroids. And he, the, doctor, <laughs> the doctor just sort of tries to scoff it off. And just, you know, like that. And she carries on. Like, you also got yourself lost twice in the TARDIS corridors, wiped the memory of the flight computer, and jettisoned three quarters of the storage hold. 
You even managed to burn dinner last night and it was supposed to be a cold supper. <laughs> that tickled me that bit. Yeah. <laughs> but it gives you, oh, I never said I was perfect. You know, it's just like, it's like no, but this makes you out to be an absolute fucking disaster. Yeah, you're, you're, you're just causing, car- causing carnage everywhere you go, basically. Yeah, but it gives Perry a chance to sort of get a bit back from, from the previous serial. Mm-hmm. You know, from the first one with Colin Baker. So I said before that after that one, I'd have probably been inclined to not watch the second. And part of the problem there was the relationship between the Doctor and Perry. But already in this, I can see that it's getting better, all, you know, so to speak, already. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and uh, it's funny because, I mean, uh, I've seen bits of Colin Baker. I've not watched all of it. I've, I've seen bits. But you do have that kind of... I suppose stigma attached to his time frame as the doctor in that it was more violent and more, uh, I suppose there was more aggressive moments during Colin Baker's time, just by going by the complaints the BBC received around this era and the, the his portrayal of the doctor himself, Colin Baker was, as we mentioned on our previous story, when we looked at, uh, at the Colin Baker of a season one of, of the doctor who pod, was a lot more arrogant, grumpy, and more difficult to like, I guess. Mm-hmm. But here, yeah. I suppose, like like you said, it's, it's, it's more Doctor light, I guess, so perhaps that helps. But here, I feel it already it's kind of softened from the last time we saw Colin Baker. It has, yeah. But then he goes a little bit too far the other way, because after we see the negotiations and, you know, Syl effectively getting the... Um, you know, he's got the uh, the governor over a barrel. We cut back to the TARDIS, and he's saying, you know, they're basically what's, what's the way the doctor puts it? Stalled in the equivalent of a galactic layby, um, <laughs> so they can't get anywhere. And he's just sat. He's just sat. He just sits down, and he's just doing the whole "woe is me" thing. Yeah. And he tries to. <laughs> I'm sure. He th- I'm sure this version of the doctor thinks this is comforting. He says it's all right for Perry because she's only got one life. She'll age here in the TARDIS and then die. He'll go on regenerating until all his lives are spent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that, that isn't that lovely? It's like, oh, you only get you only get to be stuck here for you know seventy, sixty, seventy years. I've got to do I've got to do another eight lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Miserable bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it was a it was a funny one. He's a, he's obviously a, a complex character, shall we say? Mm. Yeah. Perry brings him the TARDIS manual, though, which I thought was quite funny with the way that it's being used to prop open a vent or prop open a door, I think she said. Yeah. (laughs) He's never read it. Yeah. (laughs) Which you can tell by all the uh, the stuff he keeps getting wrong. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But it's this big, massive book, and they, they basically find a way of getting the TARDIS to Varos to replace the ore they require to, I suppose revive the machine i guess yeah pretty much the the sort of rerouting emergency power and and stuff like that we get some uh oh no that's uh, that's not the uh, the note i was looking for uh, but the you know the, they're going to get the way to uh to varos to get some zyton like you say and in the meantime we've had just more varos really it's mm. you know a bit more uh you know leading into the vote and and the negotiations we find out that sills uh bribing some of the uh, some of the underlings under the governor wants to depose him to get a better price. Yeah, even though he's already holding out for a much lower price as it. Uh, sorry, Sills already like getting 
the price the price that he would lean towards anyway he's holding out for even more and you know as you said dan undermining the governor himself mm. uh well there's a bit it's a bit more uh uh, there's a bit more sort of uh, espionage afoot as well, because mm. not espionage, sabotage. Um, he's because Sills effectively wanting to take over Varos. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we find he's going to be in a he's going to be in a real a real powerful position then, isn't he? If he's in control of the actual planet itself, as somebody who is part of this mining corporation, mm. he's going to be very very well off. Is what we're trying to say, isn't it? Yeah, effectively, he's trying to he's trying to get the maximum amount. You know the maximum money and power possible. He just wants mm-hmm. to. He just wants everything. Um, I have to. I have to ask them because we get the vote that we mentioned before, and we've said about the governor getting uh, getting putting the human cell disintegrator. That was it. When he was in that and getting the lasers fired at him, it's brutal in principle. But the noises he was making and the faces he was pulling seemed to suggest that he was quite kind of enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole different type of machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it, 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 it wasn't pain I saw on his face. <laughs> no, no. Perhaps, perhaps pulling a painful face as an actor is something he's always struggled with. I don't know. Perhaps there's other things he's been in. Uh, you know, maybe he's supposed to cut his finger in a scene and it ends up looking like he's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> to, be fair, to be fair, I do remember being, it was either during my GC, GCSEs at school or when I was at college, somebody reckoned that if you bent, you grabbed somebody's little finger and bent it back, the face they pulled would mimic their, uh, mimic right. their, their, own, their own face as it were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing I'm doing when we finish recording. <laughs> Go stand in front of the mirror and pull on my finger. <laughs> Sharon, Sharon, pull my finger. No, it's not. It's not. It's not far, honest. Yeah, it's something been... far, far worse. <laughs> oh, she's been caught out with that. Pull my finger far too many times, mate. Um... <laughs> first time with your pinky hanging out, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Uh... Uh, well, well, the the governor's just had his um, had his uh, treatment, so to speak. Sills Sills pissed off that the governor's survived, but he, get, he gets it suggests to him that if he restarts negotiations now, the governor will be so weak that he'll accept, you know, accept whatever. But the the governor's trying to buy some time, so they suggest uh, executing John Doe, who's been tortured before uh, the rebel, and we get some wonderful we will beat move. Where one of the uh, one of the soldiers suggests uh, modifying the laser with a concentrated buildup of power, neutralize the Q switch. That way, the random laser emitter builds up to a giant pulse of light, an explosion of focused laser laser energy that would wipe the prisoner out of existence. So there okay. you go. Uh, yeah, it is, isn't that, I'm, isn't I mean, that if basically it, just shooting him with a big laser? Yeah, that they're, that they're not quite sure when it's going to go off. Right, yeah. And we'll get a good ten minutes out of of his out of his apprehension and fear. <laughs> Brilliant. It's yeah. All about the ratings, um, mate. All about the ratings. Oh, we've, we've forgotten as well. They um, they actually export the they've started exporting the tapes of these executions to uh, to other planets for yeah, their it's uh, like a home movie. For their viewing <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> it's like this. It's like they've got their own sort of you know branch of HMV on Varos, and they're, you know <laughs> shipping out all the <laughs> his his master's violence. Yeah, <laughs> shipping out all the uh, the execution and torture videos, man. I wonder if that, that, that probably a like, big market like, for that. I suppose it's like snuff films, isn't it? Yeah, 
Only yeah. weirder. I mean, it doesn't help as well. Saying about saying about Syl before and the, the sort of the pleasure he gets out of this, it doesn't help that all his bodyguards look to be decked out in bondage gear. Yeah, yeah, they they are dressed. They look like backing dancers for, you know. I suppose like Janet Jackson or someone like that or Madonna in the eighties, they, that kind of bondage, that backing dancer esque kind of cyst style, isn't it? You know? Yeah. To be fair, Janet Jackson, and Madonna were the first two names that popped into my head, but I was thinking Janet Jackson back then and Madonna now. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think after that, we've got, uh, we, we had the bit that where we've, that we've sort of already discussed where they, the reroute the power. Um, if we get some more, we will beat boop. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll let you get a word in edgewise in a minute. But no, no, carry on, carry on. I want to get, I want to get this out before I lose the ability to read. Uh, <laughs> the, do- the doctor asked Perry for the TR reading from the IV table, asking if it's in the hypertime ratio section. And she says, "Well, where else would it be? Obviously, you dick. You know, come on. Yeah, of course. You know, of course we, we we all know that. <laughs> it's it's going to be. And, and the orthogonal reading is uh, ZS plus one hundred one EQ." And it, the doctor does the whole uh, Z and Z US UK thing, doesn't he? Where he's like Z or Z, you know, yeah. giving it all that. It's like really, you, you're trying to save your ass, but you've got time to be snarky. Come on, yeah, t- time for an English lesson, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but thankfully, the uh, the power conversion factor is stable. They just can't figure out why they why they aren't receiving a full transmission of power. But mm. they get it right, don't they? And they end up on Varos, um, and I think the only other bit we've just briefly skip past is seeing uh, John Dar's wife who's in prison and she's told of the yeah. impending execution. But the guard on the door, Rondell, is uh, used to be John Dar's friend. But yeah, and been... it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it, between these three? Yeah, it really is. Um, it kind of goes it, throughout the whole show, doesn't it? Because it's, it's obviously they were all together at one stage and now they're very much on opposing sides of this kind of rebellion against the government and all the issues that they have, because there's no money. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not there's not masses of food. The, basically, the, the rations that the people are being provided with are running low or, or are much smaller than they want them to be because the governor is holding out for a higher price for his, his mining ore from seal to be able to then spend more, more food, money yeah. on more food and so on. So it's almost a case of, you can suffer a little bit now and things will be better further down the road in theory or give in now and things won't improve massively in the long run but it, you might get a you might get a slight bumping in what you're receiving now you know it, it's kind of what the governor's trying to work at isn't it yeah effectively and, and at this point um uh, sorry john dar's wife's name's escaping me at the minute um but she's basically accusing rondel of of going over to the dark side and you know he's he's fine now that he's in the officer elite, and she sort of runs down that Var- like we said before that Varus was a prison planet and colony for the uh, criminally insane, but it was just sort of abandoned, and now the descendants of the original officers still rule, mm-hmm. and that they sort of live in luxury. Yeah, it's just a more really interesting and decent world building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, I suppose I mean this is 1985. It's. <sighs> It's very much a case of, I suppose, it, I was going to single it out to the mid-80s uh, there, perhaps wrongly, because it does apply to so many eras of history, I guess, where the rich are rich, and they're getting richer, and they live in luxury, whereas the poor are, are, are struggling, and so on. And it, uh, Doctor Who quite often has this kind of, 
almost like a political commentary about it with certain writers and certain stories making references to particular things that have happened or are going on at that time. And I think there is a slight little, uh, like a sort of running theme of that through this, this story here, Vengeance on Varos, commenting on maybe the, the class system that was affecting Britain in the mid-80s. Mm. Yeah, quite possibly. And the thing is, I don't think you even need to go that back, that far back now because if we've come full circle. You know, where, again, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get political, but the, the way we are now with the cost of living crisis and 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 globally the amount of money that the you know that the billionaires made during COVID, mm-hmm. while regular people were were struggling, it, it's proportional. So yeah. it's you know what's what's all these new again? It, it comes full circle, and it, it's it is very much relevant today. Yeah, totally. 100%. God, look at us getting all serious. Like, ain't we good? Right, come on, dick joke. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Something that got me as well, I, mean, I suppose it's a bit of wee-wee beep-boop here. The the guard who is effectively in charge of, of making sure Rondor gets killed off, he has to have a helmet on that is an anti-hallucination helmet. To yes. stop him, just because the because the the effect of the weapons and the stuff they're using can basically make you hallucinate. So he has to have a helmet on to block these nasty rays affecting him. And that's when the TARDIS materializes, and he doesn't think, "Oh, look, there's the TARDIS, there's this weirdly dressed dude, uh, and and this young lass." He thinks, "My helmet's knackered. I'm hallucinating all of this." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He does. Uh, that's quite funny. In fact, that bloke, uh, whose name is uh, Maldak, that's an actor called Owen Teal. Now, okay. he, he would go on to be uh, play a fairly prominent part in Game of Thrones in the early series. He played a character called Alice Thorne, who was an absolute bastard. Um, but he's got a, a Doctor Who adjacent link as well later on because he played Ewan Sherman in the Countryside episode of Torchwood. Uh, where oh. he played a um, spoiler alert for something that came out over probably fifteen years ago now. On oh, just about. Um, <laughs> oh man! Just I'm going to forget. It's all right. Yeah, fair. He's, he plays he plays Ewan Sherman, who is the go out investigating disappearances in this. Uh, I think it's in the Brecon Beacons, um, and they're you know they're suspecting aliens and whatnot, and they go through all this stuff and looking for these monsters. And it turns out it's a family of cannibals oh. that were occupying these farmhouses. And this Owen Teal has got a great bit where Gwen's Gwen's interrogating him, trying to get to the bottom of why they were doing it. You know, why kill all those people? And he's sat there and he's looking sinister and he's a really great performance. And he says, you know, if you want to know, you've got to come closer. I want to whisper it in your ear. Okay. Think, oh, it's like you're proper creepy. And to credit to her, she goes, she goes right into him, leans in, and he just whispers in her ear because it made me happy. <laughs> like that's why you're killing and eating these people. And he's just like, oh Jesus Christ! Yeah. That's something I got to watch, man. I got to watch Torchwood. But I think we were talking about doing some of that for the show, weren't we? At some point. Yeah, that's somewhere down the line. But yeah, I, I really would recommend Torchwood. Yeah. It's, uh, it is good stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the ropey episodes are really ropey. But um, the good ones are really good. But that's what makes. I mean, that's why I think that's why I think our show here, this this the Doctor Who pod, works so well because we're looking at the two different eras 
and it's different standpoints in that I've not seen some of it or I can't remember a lot of it. You've not seen some of it and so on. And we're going to be choosing stuff that's good, but we're also going to be seeing stuff that's a bit ropey as well. It'd be pretty boring yeah. if we both just sat down and went, yeah, I've seen this before. It's quite good. And that was yeah. the end of the show every week, you know? <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't quite, um, it wouldn't quite have the same impact, would it? Nah, nah, probably not, mate. Probably not. Um, oh, dear. Hey, I'll tell, um, tell you we've missed out on this one uh, with uh, with the Doctor and Perry turned up. We've, uh, we've slightly glossed over Quillen. Okay. Who, uh, it was basically like Varos's Phantom of the Opera, but also a mad scientist. And he's a bit of a Nazi. He did for funnily enough yeah. for this era for, for a classic doctor he's a he's a bit of a Nazi. He he's is, definitely he? some form of he does seem to be some form of eugenicist and hell bent on uh, on human genetic experimentation because he's trying to use this transmutation device uh, to turn people into either uh, either lizards or or monkeys or or whatever or reptiles and birds and stuff yeah, like that. Depending on the on the on the fears in the mind. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's the yeah. thing. How would that work then? I suppose we're digressing a little bit here, but how would that work? Because I, I can't think of many people that are scared of birds. I know a few. Okay. But, I mean, being scared of, like, reptiles is probably more common, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I I'm I would have more bad dreams about, say, um, a viper or a python than I would potentially a pigeon. You know? Yeah, yeah I see where you're coming from. Um, and also, the, the, it contradicts itself later on, because um, spoiler, you know, just jumping ahead. Um, John, Dar- I, I will. It will be in my notes somewhere. John Dar's wife's name, but I can't. I've, I've not got it. Well, what I'm looking uh, at now, Aretta. Aretta. That's it. Yeah. So Aretta and Perry do both get put into this device. Yes. And Perry starts turning into uh, into some form of bird creature, but then they get her out of it, and she's saying, "Oh, well, I was." I was feeling like I could fly. It was wonderful. Like yeah. that, it's it's meant yeah. to be torture. Yeah. And the thing is as well, with the colours of, of the feathers and so on she was changing into, she looked a little bit like a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't fly, so... <laughs> <laughs> Did you like the brain feathers tonight? <laughs> oh, imagine that. Imagine you get turned into a penguin and you can't fly. <laughs> turned into a penguin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a letdown that would be! You get, this, I'm going to be a bird and get all the feathers, and you got your wings. Oh, this is amazing! And you look in the mirror, and you're like, "Oh man, I'm a fucking hen." You know. <laughs> uh, one thing that I wanted to comment on as well: when the TARDIS arrives, and and the guard, you know, assumes his helmet is broken, and then decides it's not, he tries shooting at the TARDIS, doesn't he? And it's mm. it's it's just eight bit graphics from a ZX Spectrum. <laughs> You know, I don't get me wrong. At the I time, it. fine, but you know, yeah, oh yeah, me too. It's brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, it's it like, was decent. Yeah, I mean, again, you got to remember this is at the very beginning of eighty-five, of course. But it, I suppose, something that I get with Doctor Who, the eighties Doctor Who, it doesn't feel like if you've got no sort of special effects going on or, or no sort of aliens on in on shot in screen or whatever. And it's just the actors and, and so on. It doesn't feel 80s to me. If I watch 70s Doctor Who, it feels 70s. Mm. Like the, the the sort of production and um, uh, as weird as it sounds, the, the colouring of the of the screen and so on. Yeah. Um, uh, there's like a 70s feel to it. The 80s Doctor Who, I don't always get that. I don't always, I don't always watch it and think, okay, this feels 80s. When I watch other 80s TV programmes, I get that. 
but with Doctor Who, maybe not so much. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a funny one because these, you know, this Colin Baker, uh, Colin Baker time, and then Sylvester McCoy. It was kind of it's a, it's, a, it's an era that's sort of regarded as neither here nor there. It's not the best. Some people will say it's the worst, but you know, there's bits to like, and it's all sort of caught in between. Doesn't quite know what it wants to be. Mm. If you like, and I think that's maybe why why it sort of feels that way. Because in some ways it'll be ahead of its time, in some ways it's way behind the times, you know, for back then, and you just end up not really knowing where it fits. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. I mean, that bit. The, the Sylvester McCoy story we looked at in our first season, I suppose that felt more eighties than maybe the Colin Baker stories we've watched. But that was just uh, that was only just in the eighties, wasn't it? That was mm. nearly the nineties by that. Yeah, point. that was like eighty nine. That was wasn't it? Yeah, that was like yeah. the last serial before they before it was cut with a, with the crazy cat people. <laughs> that was a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> those oh, cheater I'm, people. Fuck me. I'm going to do it as well, mate. I'm going to buy the I'm going to buy the action figure of one of those cheater people just so it can go next <laughs> to my. I'm building up a collection of all the doctors, and I'm going to put a little cheater person on the end. <laughs> <laughs> And that's, oh, what you, that's what you're getting for Christmas as well, a cheater person. Oh, <laughs> you, oh, you, you, really, you really don't have to. <laughs> oh, or a little sill. I'll get you a little sill action figure. What if they make sill? Do they, they must do a sill action figure, surely. Oh, who would buy it, though? Directly, I'd like, well, yeah, fair point. <laughs> Directly, you, like, you just press a button and it just sits down there. Yeah, waggling this tongue, yeah. There's <laughs> tail going at the same time. I mean, I suppose, uh, we're talking about different kinds of toys now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> the the doctor effectively rescues Rondor from his Chonda. Chonda, sorry, from his his execution. Yeah. Uh, it, we will boot boots the laser. Yeah, and he he gets the laser and shoots the chains off. I mean, that is one hell of a shot, isn't it? Fair play. Yeah. No, not bad at all. It, and then the whole thing basically goes like murdery goggle box. Yeah. Doesn't it? When you keep, could they keep cutting back to, back to um, Etta and Arak and Etta's, as they get away and Etta's saying, I like that one, the one in the funny clothes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and now murdery goggle box is absolutely brilliant. That's, that's a spot on way of looking at it. Because <laughs> yeah. the, the majority now of what we, what we come across is the doctor, Perry and um, John Dar running uh, sorry R- rondal running and then they bump into it's john darren rondal yeah yeah they, they basically <laughs> they bump, the, the ones that they're not with they bump into <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, they, do the, they do the classic hide around an obvious corner yeah <laughs> yeah and then i don't know why they sounded dirty to me but the doctor says let's see what this purple passage has to offer <laughs> It's, all, it's the question on everyone's lips <laughs> or at least in and around everybody's lips <laughs> oh dear um but that's that's the that's the situation we're now in we've we've got arak and etta watching you know f- from their rooms they're the, the sort of quite quite small looking i suppose living space or living quarters i guess and now it's being put on the TV screens as a form of entertainment. The the doctor and his his group, I suppose, of people that are with him, running and trying to escape the guards. But then they go into the the purple zone. Is first, I believe it was, wasn't it? It was, yeah. The trial where it's full of essentially psychological and real dangers. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and the doctor's asked as well, isn't he? Why do you want to help me? You know, because he's literally just saved the guy. Mm. And the doctor responds, and I liked this. This is quite cool. The doctor responds with, well, you're the only person we've encountered so far who hasn't tried to kill us. <laughs> and it's like, you know, okay, that makes perfect sense, to be fair. You can't, you can't defy that logic, can you? No, the logic tracks. Uh, that's uh, one thing I will go along with uh, with Colin Baker's doctor on. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But throughout this whole thing, you get the um, so you get John Dar basically getting the doctor up to speed on what's going on, uh, saying that you know the the real dangers thrill the audience, but that also keeps them docile because they're happy as long as they've got you know they'll work all day and then go home and watch the murder and murdertainment mm-hmm. <laughs> on uh, on a night. But that. <laughs> We get the, we get the first sort of big monster, don't we? The, yeah. the giant fly. It's it's a big old fly, isn't it? Yeah, and it's I'll tell you what I've got here as well. The, this whole scenario where they're going from the different zones, and you've got the sort of superimposed or computer generated fly in front of them, it gave me real strong nightmare vibes. When you've got oh, yeah. you know, the the old ITV kids game show. Because you'd have um, Arak and Etta sat watching the screen and seeing them approach this fly and so on, like like the contestants would sit in the room watching on the screen, and then you'd cut to what they were watching, and the doctor and his companions basically that they just all decide they need to close their eyes to get past it. So I got real the computer graphics and the fact that they had their eyes closed and were shimmying along the wall. It all came across like real strong nightmare vibes for me. Yeah, no, I think Nightmare was just a little bit before my time, but I've seen enough clips to know that you that you're pretty much spot on with that. Um, but I did like there was oh, what was it? There was just a bit after this where the, the fly was was what it was. It was like oh, it's just an illusion. Fair enough. That's the first hurdle. Yeah, because you expect them to have to go through a few trials, so to speak, before they get to where they're going. Um, but this actually started to give me. Um, Oh, what was the episode? Caves of Andrazani vibes. Was that that was the one where it was all? No, fuck. Oh, sorry, I'm getting I'm getting my episodes confused now. Which was the one where the Doctor basically turned up and the thought he was a spy, but he just completely bungled his way into the situation, and it was just all happening around him. But it was all like really political as well. Yeah, that was Andrazani, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Andrazani, yeah, so and, and Inferno, actually. So there's a bit of, like, Andrazani yeah. and Inferno vibes in that Sill starts questioning that the Doctor's obviously not Verosian and he could be from a rival company that wants and wants the strangers removed for questioning. Mm. But it's, you know, it's, he's making a link that isn't there. The Doctor's just, and Perry have wandered in. Yeah. And causing all this shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I suppose as well, it's worth mentioning that the doctor, he he's, you know, they've gone to Varos to to get some Zyton Seven, and that's their whole purpose of being there. They're going there to get this ore to help fix the TARDIS. Mm. But he's arrived on a version of Varos that he's not familiar with. He doesn't remember it being like this, so it's a surprise to him anyway, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, it's it's a really good way to do it. Um, I, I really like the way they built this world and sort of the Doctor's confusion within that and how he's now got to sort of help get them on the right track. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we get a second task or second, I suppose, hallucination. I can't get that word out today. Hallucination. Hallucination um, with some green lights that are disguised as monster eyes. Yeah. 
That was a bit crap. Yeah, that was a bit wobbly, wasn't it? That was <laughs> that weren't the best. Um, in the meantime, as this is going on, the TARDIS has been wheeled into the main room now, the main, I suppose, um, control hub, for want of a better term, where Sill yeah. and the governor spend quite a bit of their time with their, uh, you know, sort of gimpy-looking backing dancers that Sill have brought along. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it's here that Perry, Aretta and Rondor all get captured. By the con- by the con- uh, patrol car, isn't it? Yeah, it's not exactly a car though. Is it? It's like a little electric buggy. <laughs> yeah, it's well. When when the doctor rides or drives it later on, I think you get a better look at it then in that scene when the doctor jumps on it and as and as a go, and mm. it looks like one of those quite small, skinny mobility scooters that you can hire in in you know in, in Gloucester, where I'm from in Gloucester. There's a place where you can go by the main car park and they rent out the mobility scooters to people who obviously struggle to get around time when they're going shopping and yeah. one of the cheaper ones you can rent is a real skinny sort of version it looks like that it looks like a skinny mobility scooter that they just put a case around yeah it, it, it wasn't a great look but it also fit the sort of tracks in the uh, the mining tunnels mm. or sort of what would have been mining tunnels perfectly um one thing i did like when it went all a bit goggle boxy again was when they get separated the blast doors uh, close behind the doctor who then sees a bright light and it cuts to Etta. And she just goes, oh dear, I really liked him. Yeah. <laughs> as, if he's, as if he's absolutely knackered because he's yeah. gone, into the, gone into this room. And it's we're sort of going to the end of the episode now, really, aren't we? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, one thing I did want to comment on quick was uh, something that got quite a few complaints when this episode first aired. And that was when the patrol car catches up with uh, three of the Doctor's companions here, Aretta, Rondor, and Perry. The guard actually gives Perry a good old slap, doesn't he? Oh, yes. I find that quite jolting watching it. I was like, whoa, where'd that come from? And yeah. there was loads of complaints made about that, apparently. I can see why. It was mm. unnecessary. Absolutely. And but we like Perry, also, don't we? Yeah, we do. I don't, yeah. don't want to see Perry get slapped. At the same time, I can see the logic that led to it happening because that this sort of type of guard on, on this type of world wouldn't think twice mm. about about backhanding anyone. No, but it, like you say, it's incredibly it is incredibly jarring, and it's I think it's one of those things where whether people loved it or hated it, complained about it or didn't see the problem. It's one that would always get people talking. Personally, I don't, I don't think it needed to be there. No, no. It wasn't necessary, but it it's kind of like, again, we'll go back to wrestling. It's kind of the only, the only bad reaction in wrestling is no reaction. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I could have done without it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it was a bit of this. And again, it was quite jolting for me. I was like, well, okay, where'd that come from sort of thing? But yeah, okay, yeah. fair enough. I mean, this is effectively the end of the episode, Dan, and as, as you said, isn't it? It's a two-parter, this serial, uh, as, as they tended to be around this time. Two episodes, both broadcast in the same week, I think they were. The 19th, yes, Tuesday yeah. and Thursday. Yeah, something like that. And, um, I mean, effectively, the Doctor, we're told, has entered a no-option kill zone. Yeah, where basically he's, he's there's some sort of mist that then morphs into a desert. And the whole idea behind it is that he's... Uh, it's called a hallucinatory inductor, telling mm-hmm. him that he can't survive and he's going to die of thirst. So that because his brain thinks that's what's happening, 
that's what's happening to his body. It's basically tricking him into dying. Yeah. Um, which is a, on one level and a clever way to do it. But I don't know. I suppose it'd only work as, as, as entertainment if you could see the hallucinations. But then you, you see sort of what, what I suppose you'd call behind the scenes where the, the sort of directing the camera people say, get a close up on his final moments on his death throes. Yeah. And it's just like, Ooh, that is, yeah. There's more, there's a lot on this that's silly and, and quite amusing and, and, and whatnot, but when it goes dark and serious, it goes dark and serious. Yeah, very much so. It, I mean, apparently this serial was rewritten several times and uh, the script for it had been banging around for years. And it was initially supposed to be quite lighthearted and almost funny in places. I think there's actually a comedian who helped write the original script, right. but then with, with it being pushed back and rewrites and so on, it ended up being much darker uh, and much more serious than the initial story was when it was first written. I think it was like 82. I read somewhere that it was initially written. So it's been, it was banging around for a few years. So mm-hmm. maybe you get some of the silly comical moments as a sort of may, maybe they're kind of, hanging around from earlier versions of the script when it was more of a, a yeah. lighthearted story, potentially. I don't know. That makes that makes perfect sense. I can see that, definitely. Mm. Um, it explains why the tone shifts so much. Like I say, when it goes from silly to dark and, and twisted, that, you know, multiple rewrites and, and people's involvement and then people's interpretation of original scripts and revisions, it, yeah, that explains a lot to me. Yeah, but yeah. regardless of regardless of that, it's a, it's a cliffhanger because effectively we think that the doctors died after three episodes of of Colin Baker coming in. Yeah, and Sills loving this, isn't he? One of the last shots of the uh, of the episode is obviously Colin Baker led on the floor dying in this you know hallucination. Oh my god! Come on, sir, <laughs> you can do it. Hallucination is that right? Hallucination hallucination what do i keep saying he's not oh whatever you're, you're like homer simpson trying to say saxophone okay colin Saxon baker thinks he's in the desert <laughs> <laughs> he thinks he's in the desert and one of the last shots we see is obviously colin baker lying there but we also get it sort of cut in with shots of sill back watching this and he's having a bloody great time isn't he his tongue's going he's waggling his little arms he's having a whale of a time at this he's, he's loving it it did feel uncomfortably like we were watching an alien masturbate. <laughs> Sills getting his rocks off. <laughs> yeah. that, that's, that thing underneath him, it's not just transport. It's to catch the catastrophic amounts of bodily fluids that he oh expels watching people get tortured. <laughs> it, it's a Sill-branded wank tank. <laughs> Sill-branded... <laughs> Oh no! That's why that's why he needs the Zion Seven. He's he's making more of them, and he's 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 selling them around whatever planet he's from. Yeah, just that's it. He's not actually like you know, he's not from a mining company or anything like that at all. He's from some sort of alternative sex shop for slugs. You know, he's (laughs) oh the 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 slug the slug spunk storage three (laughs) thousand. Oh man! For all anyway. your tor- for all your torture <laughs> porn needs, <laughs> torture porn, torture porn—the best for slugs. <laughs> As a t-shirt. In that. Oh. <laughs> no, that fucking isn't. Oh, it's um, just when he's feeling a bit when he's feeling extra kinky, he sprinkles a bit of salt on himself. Oh, dude. <laughs> 
<laughs> he likes to burn. Uh, if anyone anyway. doesn't quite grasp, if anyone doesn't grasp this, just Google Sill and you'll see what we mean. He looks like a he looks like a bogey cross from a slug. Um. <laughs> but I think he's actually meant to be a reptile, <laughs> like he's meant to or some sort of sea creature. Yeah. Uh, okay. He's just gross, anyway. Um, <laughs> the second episode starts, and the Doctor is on the screen, and, and he moves a bit. Yeah, um, this is just sort of twitch. The body get his body gets taken in, doesn't it, and uh, mm-hmm. to effectively be disposed of in a vat of acid, um, yes. which you know, um, okay, I guess, if efficient. <laughs> um, and the Doctor just twitches, and he gets up. And he just casually taps the this mortuary worker on the back, causing him to knock his colleague into the acid. Yeah, and then that guy falls into the acid, and he's like screaming and burning, and he tries to climb back out, and he looks a bit mangled and gross, doesn't he? And he grabs his mate's ankle, or he grabs his colleague's ankle and drags him in with him. He's like, "If I'm going down, you're going down with me." Yeah, and, and again, <laughs> this is. This is another um, moment from this this particular serial that had a huge amount of complaints. Apparently, the the way these people died in the acid bath, and then the doctor being so flippant about it afterwards, was was massively complained about. This is my favourite line Colin Baker said thus far. When, he, when he's just so fucking cold about it, he's just <laughs> killed two people. The doctor has just killed two people. Any yep. almost any subsequent version of the Doctor or any previous one would be cut up about that. Colin Baker just looks at him and says, "Forgive me if I don't join you." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was almost it was almost James Bond esque, wasn't it? When you get the one liner in a Bond film, you know, it, it was badass and very polite. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It was. It, it would. I could see actually uh, John Pertwee delivering a line like that. Okay. Maybe that version of the Doctor, but maybe not after he'd killed someone. <laughs> no. Or two people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, the Doctor then runs into Quinlan, doesn't he? And is is effectively captured by him, I guess. Yeah, sort of. But they do the whole mirror thing as well, because the Doctor finds one of, uh, one of Quinlan's masks. Mm. Um, and <laughs> Quinlan walks in. And then he's, and then the doctor's you know, they're doing the whole raise one hand and yeah and the other one follows and the doctor says something like I thought you were my mirror image until I realised I wasn't holding a, a gun. <laughs> it's like it's a fair question because on that planet it's impossible to be hundred percent certain. Um, so yeah. it's like I really love that the doctor was questioning whether it was a gun. Yeah, um, and he's the doctor saying he's a, you know a student of science and much interested in primitive nuclear technology. And, and stuff like that, and basically, he's very cool in the face of being escorted to see some executioners. Mm, yes, yes. Uh, we find that Perry is also in a spot above her. She is being sent to the reshapement chamber. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. Um, and this was not long after, um, you know, when they think the doctor's dead. The governor stood there and he's really confused as to why Perry's crying. And he, it, it, again, it's another really great sort of moment of world building because he doesn't recognise the tears as grief because to see that much death on this planet, as, he, yeah. as the governor says, his only friend and loving companion is death. It's it's really like, again, it, 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 we've just had the doctor do his little quip about killing two people and then straight after that, 
we've got the governor uh, basically being an emo. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd wonder if my chemical romance ever made a tour out to Varos. they've probably got a song called Varos yeah probably (laughs) Uh, basically everyone's in in a spot of bother now aren't they the doctor looks like he's going to be executed Perry's getting turned into a chicken of some sort Um, (laughs) Aretta she's going to get turned is is it a cat she gets turned into have I got that wrong I like that yeah probably yeah the doctor's going to be hung isn't he he's going to be hung along with the other uh, the other men. The story is apparently that the men get executed. The women always go to this reshaping chamber. Is how the, how their prisoners are dealt with. It, it seems. Yeah, a bit of a bit of a strange, um, strange split. But okay, it's all pretty pretty awful. Mm. Yeah, and we do see the we do see Perry changing here, and her arm sort of having feathers coming from it, and so on. And I couldn't make my mind up if this looked great or if it looked shit. Because every time I looked at it and thought, that's not bad, I get another angle and go, oh, no, actually it is. And I get another angle and go, oh, that looks quite cool, you know? I know exactly what I mean, because initially I couldn't tell there were feathers. Mm. And I was looking at it going, wow, that looks really cool. What what was she turning into? And I said, ah, oh, you know, the Quillum's watching, oh, so Perry's getting feathers, effectively. Like, they were supposed to be feathers. They're shit feathers. Yeah. But it, look, it's yeah, it's it's a real fine line, and dependent on the angle, like you say. But it's uh, it's unique. I'll give it that. It manages to be both good and shit. Yeah, yeah, fair play. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? So, um, one thing on this as well: when they're going for the execution for, for the hanging, of course, Sills there and egging mm-hmm. it all on. He just wants to see every. He just wants to see all the torture and suffering. Yeah, <laughs> perfect, and he, he, perfect little thing. A gross little slug, and uh, <laughs> and he's still he's also got this concern about the doctor as well, hasn't he? That the doctor is from a rival mining company who's going to screw up his plans to take over Varos and undercut with regards to offers for for the Zyton Seven and all this sort of stuff. You know, well, that's what he's telling people anyway. So he, I, I suppose, he's desperate to make sure that the doctor does end up getting executed. So you know, he's he's out the, he's out of the situation. Yeah, he's, he's protecting his own interest as well as getting his rocks off. And I'm not meaning yeah. to kink. I'm not meaning to kink shame, as Mag says. We don't kink shame people. But if death is what does it for you, it, that's probably a step too far. Yeah, yeah. You probably want to talk to someone about that. Whether they have some some form of, I don't know, torture porn slug therapy or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, somewhere where he, somewhere he can go and lie on a couch and just talk to another slug about it or something. I'll like, just I'll just go watch the movie Stoker on repeat. I'm I'm still disturbed that I, that I got taken to see that film at the cinema, but I'll tell you I've about never that, seen that. Yeah, I've never seen that. You have to uh, yeah, there's there's a, there's a scene where a woman masturbates in the shower, thinking about her uncle breaking somebody's neck. Okay. I'm, yeah, it, it's, <laughs> I'm I'm a, I'm a little bit scared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it, was, it was at that moment I thought maybe I'm not as fucked up as I thought I was. <laughs> Yeah, I felt quite good about myself. (laughs) (laughs) At least I'm not having an incestuous murder wank. (laughs) Incestuous murder wank. That's the name of another death metal band. (laughs) They uh, they played support to uh, to Corpse Water in 2004. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that set. It was good. Um, <laughs> just slugs all over the stage. <laughs> and big metal tanks on the side of the stage for some reason. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, 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 quite, I'm, quite, I'm questioning the phone party that took place in the middle of it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear me. Um, as quickly as they've been captured, I suppose, the Doctor and... Chesney Hawks uh, basically escape, don't they? Because it's Chesney not Connery. Yeah, it's not an actual hanging. It's set up to try and get the truth out of them, isn't it? So when it's when when they when they drop, the 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 nooses just kind of come undone, don't they? Yeah, but it's not. They've not told Sill that obviously because Sill mm. sends his guards in to fight with the Verosian guards and pull the leather lever to hang them, which is really fucking dark. Yeah, and then they just walk out, and he's always it. The, saying the fake news trick was a means of eliciting the truth, and uh, the doctor no, but the doctor had clocked that the governor had told them uh, the cameras to stop broadcasting, so he figured that it was a bluff, which was a really cool, uh, a cool little bit. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's um, yeah, it was a uh, it was a good little bit that, but then they're um, we've still got we've still got to get um, Aretta and, uh, and Perry out. Well, yeah, they they eventually bust down there, don't they? And I, I'm assuming this process is easy to reverse because it seems to happen quite quickly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it hadn't, it hadn't fully taken yet, has it? It's like all the physical changes were there, but they weren't permanent. Right, um, okay. But this was after the... Um, well, the, it, it was while they were trying to figure out if it was too late or not. And the governor orders it stopped. But Quillen refuses. Then they're arguing about who's got the power here and all of that shit. You know, all, all the all the usual arguments like that. And then we get um, the Doctor figuring out that he's Quillen's been experimenting on himself, and he takes Quillen's mask off. Yeah, which was pretty scary when you mm. saw his. You know, if I, I, you know, if you were a kid watching that at the time, you think, "Oh my god!" You know, the guy's disfigured himself for his for his experiments. Yeah, and I think that I think you have the suspense of it as well that adds to it because you know at some stage that mask is going to come off, and you know that he's wearing it for some grotesque reason. So I think that yeah. the suspense each time you see that character until the mask is removed, I think that you know adds to the oh my god moment, you know. Yeah, it's one of those where you're just like I want to see it, 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 and then you finally find the mask finally comes off, and you're just like, whoa! Yeah, don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to see that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it was um, yeah, but the doctor and John Dar relieve the guards of the weapons and basically shoots the control console, which scuppers a lot of the control that Quillen had. Mm-hmm. Um, like you say, very conveniently, swiftly stop the uh, the final uh, sort of transmutation process, um, and they're on the run again. Yes, yes, but not for that long, really. Uh, the, they're on the run, and the doctor gets his hands on the mobility scooter we mentioned earlier. <laughs> and as he's this is happening, Perry's wandered off a little bit, and Perry's got captured again. This is like the third time in this this story that Perry's been captured. In fairness to Perry, she was dis- still disoriented after having every cell in her body nearly rewritten. Yeah, okay, perhaps I'm being a bit harsh. <laughs> and, and if anything, the doctor and John Dar should have been more responsible in looking after her. Mm, yeah, that's true. We'll, we'll blame him. We'll blame him, because we like Perry. Yeah, yeah, yeah Perry's fine. We, yeah, Perry's fine. Uh, 
we also then start getting the signs of a mutiny, I suppose. The um, what would the guy's name be? The was it Bax, the second in command? Yes. Yeah, he is effectively going to lead up and try and overthrow the governor here. Oh wait, sorry, no, uh, no um, Bax was the um, was the the soldier who suggested the the laser build up. This uh, the, okay. sort of second in, the second in command, who I've just called Mustache Chief. Um, was he was some sort of chief something officer or other? Yeah, he's literally just called chief officer, wasn't he, or something like that? Yeah, yeah something I, like I that. don't think we ever got a proper name, did we? I, I prefer mustache chief. Yeah, okay, fine, we'll go with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the mustache chief is is looking at uh, overthrowing the governor. Uh, he's he's got the full backing of Sill as well, and basically everything's just just kind of going a bit crazy now. It, it's all coming mm. to a head because the doctor is still running around or well, not running anywhere. He's scooting about on his, on his mobility scooter. Sill is desperately now trying to get the doctor and everyone else killed off. The governor looks like he's going to be overthrown by the chief officer. We yeah. have Quillam running around without his mask on, uh, his equipment's blown up. He's in a bit of a pissy about it all. You know, it's, it's all going a bit crazy, isn't it, Dan? It, you could say it's all gone a bit peaked on, hasn't it? Mm. Really, from all ends up. It's a moment of great peril for everybody involved you know the 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 coup's going to go through um because you know some sort of sort of section of the law about public disapproval the chief's been a slimy bastard that way and then he's got all his backhand dealings with sill um perry's obviously caught up with them and, and watching the uh, watching the vote go through and then the doctor's trying to fight doctor and uh, john dar and aretta are all trying to just stop it all happening yeah it's yeah. it's it's all gone a bit mad. Um, yeah, totally. But we get oh, the yeah. governor just after this. We get the governor and Perry just having a, almost a heart to heart. Yeah, he's in the chair, isn't he? Ready to get sort mm. of, I suppose, tortured with that light again. I guess, and it's going to kill him off this time, isn't it? They're assuming. And yeah. Perry is to go to face the rehabilitators afterwards. Is what is is mentioned. Brainwashing, brainwashing, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Um, the governor tries to convince the guard that is holding them there, waiting for the cameras to come on and so on, mm-hmm. to to let let them go. First of all, the guard's not having any of that. But then he he tries to say, "Look, can you just kill Perry so she hasn't got to go through that?" And where, again, yeah. that's dark, and that's like, oh my goodness, really? But at the same time, he's trying to. What makes it so dark for me is the fact that he's trying to do her a favour and save her, save her from some suffering by having her shot. Yeah, it's it's sort of summed up by something that comes into this as well. Uh, it's an exchange that they have where Perry calls it all crazy and cruel. Mm. And the governor just looks at her and says, it's Varos. Yeah. Just dismisses it as the way of life. But yeah, Maldak won't be, um, won't be swayed, will he? He... Um, it, it, it's when he, it's when the governor asks him to kill Perry as a kindness, and he refuses, and he just looks at Perry and says, "I tried." Mm. He's just defeated, poor guy. Well, not quite a poor guy because I'm sure he's been a bastard up until this point. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, we we cut back to Arakaneta, don't we? In in their living quarters, watching all this murder goggle box, murder goggle box, and um. <laughs> He votes twice, which is apparently a big no-no. He, he uses his wife's vote as well as his own vote, and she's going mad about this because she's not happy at all, is she? Mm. Yeah, he um, 
he he decides. I think he decides to uh, to spare the governor death by orgasm chair, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> death by <laughs> orgasm chair. <laughs> I think they supported corpse water at some point as yeah. well. <laughs> oh my god! We're gonna have to we're gonna have to write down all these band names and then make up like a, a like a Leeds Reading Festival post. Yeah. <laughs> Scaro Festival or something like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Gala Galafest. Galafest. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, um the guard does eventually shoot out the machine to save the governor, though. He does sort of have a change of heart, doesn't he? So fair play to fair play to the fella. Yeah, well done, Maldak. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Good stuff. Um the doctor he him, sorry, he ushers him down uh, ventilation ducts, doesn't he, and goes with him. Yes. Yes, and basically everyone's on the run then, aren't they? Everyone's all trying to... Again, like we said, it, it just goes a bit crazy and a bit sort of... A bit messy, I suppose. It's a bit like, well, where's this? Why are we doing this? Where are you going? What's happening? What's going to happen with the governor? But not in a way that... I mean, we watched a previous story. It might have been the Colin Baker one, actually, where there was so much going on and so many loose ends that it, it felt too messy for me. Yeah, this is very different. This is very. There's a lot going on, but it do, it's it's all very easy to follow. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's it's kind of got that. I suppose uh, I don't know if it was something of the time potentially. I don't know, but it's got that kind of chaotic, messy kind of vibe to it because there are so many different moving parts and different scenes that we're cutting to and different people that we're we're hearing have conversations. Mm. But there's there is an end game to it. We are approaching an end game. We are approaching these, these different moments and different people and different groups, uh, all getting tied up at the end. We're approaching that. Whereas with the attack of the Cybermen episode, it didn't feel like we were really heading anywhere, but it still had that same kind of vibe. Yeah, exactly. It's this, it all feels while there's a lot of threads going on, it all feels cohesive because even as you're skipping between stories, it's still advancing what's going on elsewhere. Mm. So when you go from the Doctor to Etta and Eric watching it, they comment on who they like or what's happening. And then it'll cut to, might cut to the, say, you know, the negotiations or something like that. But at no point do you, are you left thinking, so I don't know, well, well where are they now? Yeah. How did they get there? It never has any of that somehow. Yeah. It's just it's just a lot, it's just a lot tighter it's tightened up essentially and, and a b- possibly a bit better written or more coherently written, which is surprising given the amount of rewrites. Maldak, Perry and the governor are in the vents, but the, the doctor and the others end up in a, in tunnels full of tendrils. That mm. if you get touched by them, uh, it's instant death basically. So the, and then John Dye has a patrol car coming. So the, the doctor hatches a plan. Um, they effect they set something up and Quillen pulls up with the uh, with the chief and a few guards. Um, Quillen wants them to suffer and, and be examples and provide more entertainment for the the people on Varos. Now I've, I've written down what he says because it's dark. He says, "I want to hear them squeal till I am deaf with pleasure to see their limbs twist in excruciating agony. Ultimately, their blood must gush and flow along the gutters of Varos. The whole planet must delight in their torture and death." That for primetime TV, yeah. But then the doctor comes out with another great quip, where he says, "That's a great scenario. I'm not not thrilled about the part." Yeah, 
<laughs> but it all comes to nothing because the doctor just basically says, now, John Dow pulls a thing because they've tied the vines up. The vines swing down and take everybody out. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Which is really convenient. <laughs> but yeah. also, you don't, you're not going to really question it, are you? Because they, they went to the effort to set up what the vines do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I suppose it's in a kind of uh, trap, kind of Indiana Jones-esque kind of way. It was quite clever. You, yeah. You've got these these things here that are going to kill off the people who are chasing you. Why not use them to your advantage, I guess? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it could kill you, but it could also kill them. Mm. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Sill has and I have been calling for an invasion force because he wants to be emperor in his in his terms, isn't it? Uh, of yeah. uh, Faros. This is what he's heading towards, and they get a message back saying that Zygon Seven has been found on another planet, so they're not Z- going to invade. Z- Zyton. Zyton. Not, sorry. not Zygon. Zygon. <laughs> Yeah, I did uh, like this because at this by this point, Sill thinks he's in the end game and he's he's going to get what he wants. Yeah, he the thinks he's winning, doesn't he? Yeah, and it, there's nothing better than seeing an absolute twat of a character get the comeuppance, and the Governor Doctor Perry and Maldak walk in. Sill's bigging up the invasion from Arthoros Beta. That's where he's from, and right. uh, he, get, he gets the report through as he said, invasion of Varus cancelled. And I've just put in my notes, "Ha, fuck you, you little slug." <laughs> exactly and what's even better is that Sill is now then told to pay any price that Valos wants so yeah. the governor holding out all this time to get a better price from this this evil corporate slug I guess has, has worked and now you know, you're going to get more money going into Varos and solving all the problems that the governor was attempting to solve by holding off I guess yeah yeah, exactly. It's all come. It's all come good for uh, for the governor, and uh, a couple of bit, couple of good bits here from Baker as well. Um, I said, "Fuck you, you little slug." The doctor's a bit more eloquent about it. He says the ways of the ruler are fraught with uncertainty. Are they not, Sil? <laughs> um, and it's just like he's trying. He's pretending to be nice about it, but it's just like it, it is a very eloquent "fuck you." Um, Sil basically goes into an apoplectic rage. And the doctor said, I don't know if this was an intentional pun, but he says, uh, basically implies that still needs more water, you know, to calm down. So, but he says, needs more water, Perrier. (laughs) And I'm thinking Perrier. I didn't even notice that, but yeah, you're spot on. That's I don't think I, I, I can't decide if it's just you know if he's just saying Perrier, you know, as in a a, or if he's making a a Perrier joke. I hope he's making a joke. I can't decide if it's great or terrible. Yeah, it's, one, it's one of those that is so terrible it ends up being great. Fair, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. I mean, you, you've got kids, so you're entitled to decide what's a, what a good dad joke is. Um, oh, I, I annoy my kids all the time with the crap jokes I tell them. They literally I know you do, roll right? their eyes and walk off. It's brilliant, and I, I think it's hysterical. So carry on. <laughs> uh, just tell me about it when you do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the governor is then. Basically, they're making some big changes to Varos, aren't they? With, with yeah. what's with what's happened now, with, with the the new influx of money, I suppose, coming in. There's going to be no more executions, uh, no more voting for that sort of stuff. Uh, and yeah, and, and I suppose the question asked there is, you know, by one of the characters, we are free, and it's like, yeah, you're not just yeah. going to be exploited for mining anymore. It's 
a really good, it's a really interesting ending because in effect, it's a happy ending. Mm. But you get the, the sort of end bit is Arakaneta speculating what they'll do because their whole worlds have been turned upside down now. All they've ever known, they won't know. They don't know what to do without the executions and the tortures to for entertainment, and basically speculate on the nature of freedom and what they'll do with it. Mm. It's it's a it's, it's a happy ending, but you're left feeling a bit deflated. Yeah, and contemplative about the whole thing. It makes you makes you question it. It's um, I can't decide. I think I think it's good. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think ultimately it is, but it's also maybe makes you think about how I suppose stripped back and dependent the lives of the people on Varos were. I mean, the last two lines are literally, "What shall we do now?" And then the, the, then the other responds, "Oh, I I don't know." Yeah, and that to me really hits home because it's like, okay, we're three we can do as we like now, but we don't know what to do with that because we've never had it before. They've now got, they can do what they like, but they've got to figure out what they'd like to do. Yeah, exactly, mate. Exactly. Yeah. Real, real, real interesting end to it. Mm. Um, and I'm just going to throw it out there now because I think we'll be in the same mind on this. I enjoyed this so much more than uh, Attack of the Cybermen. Yeah, totally. I, I really liked this. I, I really, really enjoyed it. It's. I, I would go back and watch this again, to be honest. I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, I, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised. You know, I, I said I'd go into it with an open mind, um, and I did. And I was pleasantly surprised. It's um, this is so. This is kind of uh, kind of for you as well, uh, official AB underscore pause, because uh, you said about <laughs> uh, uh, they said about um, you know Colin Baker being the favourite and, and all of that. So give you credit where credit's due. Varos is a good one. Yeah, it is indeed. It is indeed. I wonder what season three will bring us with, with regards to Colin Baker. Because he's uh, Colin Baker, obviously we're we're very, very early into our second season. Um, mm. you know, we only watched one other Colin Baker story for our first season. But I find the the stories of us covering Colin Baker serials, uh, the episodes of our show, sorry, really intriguing. And I'm really looking forward to doing it again because I'm now I'm thinking, okay, we had the one that effectively we kind of panned, and then we've had this one that we're both saying we we pretty much really enjoyed. Yeah. What happens it's, next? It's gone from one extreme to another, and these two these two serials were back to back. Yeah. I don't <laughs> imagine being sat there in the 80s watching these and thinking, well, now I don't know what to think. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to watch <laughs> the next one. <laughs> I know I know damn well I'm gonna complain about that acid bath. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very getting a backhand. Yeah, <laughs> Compl- oh. but, but again, it was that kind of pushing the boundary, um, and it's been sort of in the back of my mind uh, for while we've been recording, and I'm just sort of remembering it again now. This era of of the Doctor with Colin Baker, from the the serial we watched in the first series to this one now, where it's gone from all over the place, hard to follow storylines not interacting well to this where it's a lot tighter there's still a lot going on but it's it's just more entertaining and more coherent it brings to mind Vince Russo's car crash TV theory okay where you had a lot of stuff going on and it, Russo pushed the boundaries of what was acceptable in you know on on certain TV slots and this is what this episode did as well 
because you know it, it had the it had the controversies in it. It improved on the sort of the, what was laid out in the first episode, the first serial. So it's everything that the first serial wanted to do, but done better. Mm. Okay, yeah. And it's it's kind it's kind of like because obviously I do what I do with with UTT. It, it feels very much like when I've seen the seen the clear difference between Vince Russo coming into WCW and bringing his style with him, but also making all the storylines that were there before and were a bit crap that the ratings showed were crap and not well received, bringing them into the fold, bringing it on board and stabilizing the ratings and moving them up. Mm. But I don't know if it was reflected in the TV ratings for, for this, but it's the same feeling that I get No, okay. when I was watching that. And for, for context on that, go listen to unbooking the territory. <laughs> <laughs> Great plug, mate. Great plug. Uh, very quickly then, Dan, what order are we going in next? We're speaking to your mate, aren't we? Yes, next week we've got a guest on, a uh, friend of mine, Gary Crompton, is coming on, massive Doctor Who fan, um, uh, also a massive fan of, uh, of horror films and done uh, done many uh, many scare attractions of his own, so he knows where, what, where he's coming from with um, you know with things like practical effects and stuff like that. Um, so we've got our very first guest on, Gary Crompton, and we're going to be covering the David Tennant two-parter uh Human Nature and the Family of Blood from 2007. Oh, our first ever guest next week. That's exciting. I know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's going to be good. I'm excited for you to, to, to chat to Gaz, actually, because he really is knowledgeable about, about all aspects of Doctor Who, uh, classic and modern. Yeah, okay, cool. I'm looking forward to it, mate. I'm looking forward to it. I just like talking Doctor Who with anyone. You know, my wife moans at me if I try to talk to her. So, <laughs> <laughs> In general or about Doctor yeah, that's, Who? That's just not Doctor <laughs> Who. It's just about everything, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to it, mate. Really looking forward to it. Our first ever guest. Going to be good. And we have a few other guests lined up for this season. Uh, and I know there are people who have asked to come on the show that are not being lined up as a guest for this season. But don't worry, we're not planning on stopping at the end of season two. There will be opportunities in future seasons as well. We just don't want it to become really, really guest heavy and so on. We want to keep it keep it varied. Some episodes will just be me and Dan. Some episodes will be with a guest and so on. And we want to sort of spread it out across the, the run of the whole show, Dan, don't we? Yeah, pretty much. Um, this this season, I think we're, we're looking at a structure of um, size pick, my pick, guest, but then it'll be, we'd have to sort of go in reverse. So then it'll be me picking a classic who, side picking a new who, and then a guest with a classic who, and and essentially doing it like that. Yeah. So we'll still go, uh, still go new who, classic who, new who, classic who, you know, like that. But it'll uh, it'll just be in uh, in a bit of a different order in terms of who's picking. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully so. And it'll all work out well. I'm really looking forward to it, mate. Talking to talking to some guests, talking more Doctor Who, looking at some great... Um, you mentioned the tenant stories we're looking at for, for the next week's episode. I don't remember anything about those, so I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, well, I'll keep... I won't give any spoilers now. Um, it's a, a two-parter that I really wasn't fond of on my first watch. Ah, okay. Interesting. But has grown on me significantly through the years. Right, okay. Hmm. Yeah, so I'll be really interested to get your thoughts on it. Intrigued, mate. Intrigued. Okie doke. Do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online, Dan? 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that's 25 years out of date. You can also hear me, as I said, on Unbooking the Territory, uh, where we are in season two. We discuss the first and last of professional wrestling. Uh, you can find us on all good podcast platforms and on Twitter at UTT Podcast. And you can also follow our side, our side project, which is Unbooking the Tankatory, where we look at the, uh, the life and times and trials and tribulations and matches of Tank Abbott's career in WCW. It's a niche within a niche within a niche, but uh, we have a good laugh doing it. And uh, that, in fact, at, at time recording, those episodes have uh, taken on a bit of a life of their own because I've actually had a bit more time on my hands. So I'm actually able to watch the full episodes around just the stuff we're looking at. So we end up just talking to a, a load of WCW. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Can't beat a bit of WCW, mate. Can't beat a bit of WCW. Nah, um, you'd say that. Yes, you can find me on Twitter at SJP Words and on Facebook there is the group SJP All the Shows and Info and from there you get links to everything I'm involved in. If you want to hear me talking a little bit more time travel geeky goodness then you can check me out on The Waiting Room Podcast looking back at Quantum Leap with Mr. Benny Mac every week. Uh, or if wrestling is more your bag, I mean, we were just saying then, you know, bloody love a bit of WCW, check out Nitro Nights that I do with our good friend Scottish Danny, looking back on WCW one show at a time, uh, all the way through from the very first Nitro until the company closed its doors in 2001. And then we have Chain Wrestling as well, live on a Monday night via the Radio Attackers YouTube and Twitch streams, and the podcast version comes out later in the week. But most importantly... You can find this show on Facebook and Twitter at the Doctor Who Pod. That's at the D R W H O P O D at the Doctor Who Pod. Yeah, and uh, obviously I'm at SJP Words. Looking forward to next week, Dan. It's going to be good, mate. Yeah, can't wait. Looking forward to it already. Excellent stuff. I will speak to you then, and to everybody else, as always. Thank you for listening. Incestuous murder wank. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, this is going to be fun, I just admit it. Sometimes, mate, I wonder how the fuck I managed to even just get out of bed in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Just full of of images of you laying there just going on every morning. What the fuck do I do now? Yeah. You know, the youngest has to walk in and just tip the mattress. (laughs) (laughs) Daddy, we went through this yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Laid there. Sharon! Like Ozzy Osbourne. Sharon! Sharon! Fetch the fucking hoist. <laughs> it's happened again. I've forgotten to get out of bed. <laughs> this, is, this is more intense than the time I forgot how to sit down. <laughs> Just launching yourself face first at a chair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just smashing through the wood. Like, this, this, is not, this is not right. I know this isn't right. Something about this is telling me this is not the right way. <laughs> Well, yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, the Doctor, Aretta, and Rondor, and, and Smiley. Smiley was the one. Smiley?
Why have I got Smiley written there? Who's Smiley? Uh, well, the, the Doctor and John go into... Um, sorry, Doctor John Darren and Retta go into a green tunnel that the 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 sort of wandering around have daft smiles on the face and they're hallucinating. There you go. That's why I've written Smiley. <laughs> and we'll then they, <laughs> yeah, it's all right. But then they they end up in the um, 